All right, so now all the kids are out. Um, I'm going to call it like it is. That is a bat. Um, but I need, you to, I need you to raise your right hand, okay? I'm, I'm serious. Raise your right hand. And say after me, I will do my best not to look at the bat. Thank you. There, there are way too many ironies this morning for me not to at least go through a couple of them. Uh, it's been a crazy week for me, but then this morning, uh, both myself and Steve, who's running sound, spilled coffee on ourselves and had to change clothes. Um, technically, it is, it is Batman's birthday today, for those who didn't know. So that's the only thing I can attribute that to. Um, but we can, we can rest easy and focus on the word this morning because we have deacons who will keep an eye on that thing for us, so no worries. Um, I do want to point out as well that uh, it's so, uh, Sean better be listening to this on the internet when this gets posted because he will hate that he was not here because of the office episode where the bat is in the drop ceiling and then it comes down and it's on Meredith and, the, and then Dwight puts a bag over her head and she gets rabies and all that stuff. Yeah, Sean, Sean is going to wish that he was here so bad. Um, and honestly, like I, I picked on Sean really bad. His, his last sermon here was the first week of, of the month on March 2nd. Um, his last sermon for the foreseeable future. We hope to have him back eventually. Um, but as, uh, as Sean was preparing, hey, you raised your right hand. Stay focused. Uh, as Sean was preparing to, to preach, he, he jumped out of Mark, so I picked on him for that because he didn't stay with our series. But then he, he picked uh, Colossians 1 to preach on. And Colossians 1, it preaches itself. So I was making fun of him because that, that passage, you just got to read it and step back. It's beautiful. If all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He's the firstborn among all creation. Like, those words about Christ are amazing, and you don't really need to preach that. Like, it preaches itself. And so I gave him a hard time. But, but really, I'm in the same boat now because the text for this morning is beautiful, and it preaches itself. And so honestly, I just need to step back. And, and not be in the way of what is going to happen through the Word this morning. And really, that's the basic premise of any sermon that you would hear here at Grace. Even any song that we sing. So we're basically, we're inviting you. We're imploring you. We're pointing you to Jesus. So we may make some really clever remarks, and we may uh, tell some great stories, and we may even bear our hearts open for you, but it's all that you might see and savor Jesus, especially in the text. So that's why I say that this text preaches itself. Um, I just need to step back. It's a, it's a very clear snapshot of the power of the gospel and the promise of the kingdom of God. So let's read the text together and you'll see what I mean. So would you stand with me as we read? From Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go 
sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god if you'd be seated i'm just going to walk through the text and so please turn in your bibles uh, or on your mobile devices or your tablet, uh, swipe as necessary uh, to get to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And I'll start at the beginning, and we'll just walk through. Jesus is setting out on his journey. And so as we have raced through Mark's narrative of uh, the life of Jesus, it's important to remind ourselves of the context, um, especially when we hit a phrase like this. So what journey is Jesus setting out on? He's heading to Jerusalem for the last time. So I had a really existential crisis this week. Um, It was my birthday last Saturday, and I turned 33. And Jesus was around 33 uh, when his ministry culminated in his brutal death in my place. So it's hard for me not to think, Jesus changed the entire universe by age 33, So what have I done with myself? But that that thought process, if I were to carry that out, that could lead me to the exact same problem that we have in our text that we'll get to. Because what matters in the end, what matters ultimately, is not what I did in my 33 years, but what he did in his. So Jesus is setting out on his journey at 33 to Jerusalem. This is it. Jesus knows this, but the disciples, they're not quite there yet, uh, as we'll explore next week in the following text. But keep this in mind from here on out. Every moment that Jesus spends with with every person, it's, it's that much more intentional. It's his last journey. It's his last opportunity to have conversations, his last opportunity for teachable moments. So how much more weight would your decisions carry if you knew for certain that you would die in one month? There are several in our church family who live with the imminence of death daily. And so I know that they've considered this. 
But for the rest of us who think that we're invincible, let that sink in. As we gather for worship over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, consider this. And every time we look at what Jesus is doing, let the weight of it, the intentionality of it, uh, be with you as you read the text in Mark. It really helps us read this morning because this morning's text, there's no really better text for the American church specifically. I mean, there, there's so many ways that, uh, so many things we could say about how the gospel has been conflated or confused with the American dream. And, and what does the American dream tell us but that you can do it? And given the right environment, anyone can do anything if they work hard enough. But please be careful. That's the American dream. That's not God's dream for his people. God's desire for his kingdom was exemplified in the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. So God gives us what we don't deserve. And he doesn't give us what we do deserve. So we're going to let this text, this specific moment, speak to us right here where we sit. Even as we think about the context of what's going on right then. Jesus' words, therefore, each of us right now as well. And the first thing that we run into is exactly something that we do. So the young man, he runs up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher. Good teacher. And I, I look at this and I think, Good. This word you keep using, I, I do not think it means what you think it means. His language is really funny. So R.C. Sproul, he had this really cool illustration that I loved immediately. Um, we use words like good uh, in all different contexts, but usually we use it in comparison, right? So if I say that my dog, Angel, is a good dog, I don't mean that he has a refined ethical sense of propriety. I mean that as far as dogs go, he's pretty good. He doesn't pee in the house. He likes people. He doesn't bite. So compared to other dogs... He's a good dog. What's funny is that we do that with people, too. When we say that someone is a good person, we mean that compared to other people, he's pretty good. He's housebroken. He plays well with others. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But there is no comparing Jesus to any other teacher. So using the word good here is probably not the most appropriate. It's a little unusual. And although the young man is clearly, he's trying to show respect. He want, I mean, he, gets, he, he kneels before him. He's showing respect to this teacher. Jesus' response shows us that his use of the word good, it's a little unusual. Now, Jesus, look at this text. Jesus is not saying, I'm not God. But rather, he's saying, do you really know what you're saying right now? Does this word mean what you think it means? Jesus is challenging this young man's assumptions right from his first response. So let me be clear. Uh, Even if the young man had just said, teacher, uh, tell me what to do to have eternal life, that's not quite it either. Uh, You can't simply call Jesus a teacher. And we run into this in our context, uh, where people from different cultures or different religions, um, even those who are in like related religions like Islam or Judaism, uh, they'll all affirm Jesus is a good teacher. He said some cool stuff. But Mark's gospel doesn't give us room for that. It makes it very evident that Jesus is not just the good teacher. He is God. So you may hear, you know, Jesus was a great role model. Or you may engage with people who say Jesus was a prophet. 
But the truth is, Jesus is God. And in some ways, it's really a simple thing to say, but it makes all the difference. Even the verb tenses that we use in these different thoughts, you know, Jesus was or Jesus is, we believe in a person who was resurrected from death, who is not dead, who was and is and is to come. So don't ever stop at Jesus was a good teacher. He's so much more than that. So this young man, he doesn't know what he's saying, <laughs> and he doesn't know what he's asking. I mean, surely you know what that's like, right? To, to not really know what you're asking for. Um, for instance, when I, when I sat uh, Clara on my lap and said, baby girl, when are you going to finally start learning how to crawl? All the parents understand what you're asking for when you say that. Uh, or if you, if you were to walk into Sunny Skies and say, can I have a pint of cold sweat, please? Do you really know what you're asking for? Or if you pray, God, please give me patience. Do you really know what you're asking for when you say that? And then this man says, what must I do to have eternal life? One of my favorite songs by Andrew Peterson is called The Reckoning. And I love how he honestly sings this line, I know that I don't know what I'm asking for, but how long until The Reckoning? All of creation longs for Christ's return, for all things to be made right. But what is that really going to feel like? To see God's glory in its fullness. So we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but we don't, we don't really know what we're asking. So this young man, he has no idea what he's asking. But Jesus is about to tell it to him. So when Jesus first answers, you get the sense that Maybe this young man was like eagerly ready for this. He was ready for this question. He was ready to respond to this. It's almost like what a young Paul might have done. Because remember, Paul, he was a Jew among Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, keeping the law, loving the law. But it was not Paul's love of the law that saved him. Right? So Jesus, he summarizes some of the Ten Commandments here. But obviously not all of them. And in fact, there's a very key commandment that Jesus did not recount specifically right here. And he's about to bring it all into focus. Uh, think of how beautiful uh, this moment is. Even as Jesus is about to rock this man's and the disciples' concept of what God's blessing looks like and how eternal life is gained, Jesus looks directly into his eyes like, in English, it says looking at him, but that's way too soft. In the Greek, it's more like he's, he's gazing, intentionally making eye contact with this guy. And he looks at him, and he loves him. So Pastor Brad wanted me to be sure to make this very key point. Jesus loves you exactly how you are, exactly how you came here this morning, right in the middle of whatever your circumstances are, whatever your sin is, however beautiful or awful your life is, Jesus loves you. But he cannot accept you as you are. Jesus loves you as you are. But he will not, and he cannot, in fact, accept you as you are. Because although God created all things good, The first thing the Spirit allows us to see as we hear the gospel is the depth of our brokenness, the fullness of our separation from God, because we are sinful as we are. 
We are all dead in our sin. And God can't accept that. That's why God himself, Jesus, came to die. So that we might be made alive. That we might have cleansing from our sin. We might be reconciled, adopted, redeemed. So when you follow the king to the cross, and you let him work in and through you, through his spirit, then you're completely accepted by God the Father. But not as you were. And not because of anything you did, but because of Jesus' death in your place for your sin. Because Jesus is perfectly acceptable, we become perfectly acceptable to God. So when the gospel wrecks you, as it will every day, reminding us of our sinful hearts, let the gospel continue and remind you of your new identity in Christ. Why else would Paul use the language of being a new creation? God loves you exactly as you are when you're that old creation. But he can't accept that. He wants you to be born again. He wants you to be a new creation. So Tim Keller summarizes the gospel as uh, the truth that we are more sinful and wicked than we ever dared imagine. But we are more completely loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. So as Jesus looks lovingly at this man, his answer is really pretty famous. Now this whole story is one that people outside the church uh, and those of us who grew up in the church, we recognize it pretty quickly. Like we know where this is going. Um, and even uh, people who have no, you know, no connection to church kind of know this as a story about uh, morality. Because what does Jesus say? He says, go and sell everything and give it all to the poor and follow me, the king, to the cross. Jesus is not prescribing a way of life for every believer. And so some of us sigh in relief that the preacher isn't going to go there. Although our giving has been a little low. I'm just kidding. Uh, but seriously. Um, what if that was the way of life for every Christian? What if all you had was Jesus? What if every possession you had was gone when you got home? which we almost experienced last night. We were in Raleigh when the tornado came through. And so part of my brain was thinking, what if we get home to Andrew and our house is, that's going to really illustrate this sermon, isn't it? And so what if you get home today and another tornado drops out of the sky and everything you have, your stuff is gone. Would Jesus and his body, the church, be enough? To this man's face, it falls. And he goes away sorrowfully. Why? The text tells us because he had great possessions. But it's not just that he had them, but that he trusted them to earn his place before God. So this is what Jesus did in this really simple answer. He pointed out that the man had not actually kept all the commandments. Because he had functionally, he had another God, lowercase g, before Yahweh. He'd broken the very first commandment. And this is actually, it really has little to do with his possessions either. Because being in poverty does not heal the heart of greed or pride or covetousness. This man has simply sold everything right there at the drop of a hat and given it all away. He may still be trusting his actions of what he just did to earn his place before God. So Jesus says, you'll have treasure, you just can't see it yet. 
and follow me. Trust me. Because trusting anything other than Jesus, it leads to death. The Old Testament warned us of this. I mean, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, right? And Jesus' teaching was consistently pointing to the fact that the way was to follow Jesus. That the only way to the Father was through him. But that's not all. Actually, trusting Jesus leads to death and life. Remember our subtitle for this series in the book of Mark? The way of the disciple, those who would confess that Christ is Lord and follow him, the way of the disciple is the way of the king, the way of Jesus, which is the way to the cross. And in this moment, Jesus is very literally saying to this man, follow me to Jerusalem, to the cross. And sometimes repentance, it can feel like a little, a little death. Sometimes trusting Jesus is completely counterintuitive to the systems of the world. And yet there is treasure stored up for us beyond what we can even grasp when we follow Jesus. There is hope that is certain and sure because of his resurrection. And though we will both die to ourselves and die physically, Trusting Jesus leads to life, now and forever. We get to give a testimony of that uh, at my granddaddy's memorial service on Friday. It was a testimony to the resurrection, a celebration of his life now, longing for the life that we will share with him in Christ's presence. So I'm grateful this morning that I didn't spill coffee on his tie that I'm wearing. There's a difference of perspective that's happening here as Jesus is teaching. And the disciples are about to illustrate for us what's happening. As they often do, they serve as the foil, in literary terms, for what Jesus is doing. He can bounce these things off of them so that we get it. And it's for our benefit. So Jesus reminds us that wealth is a terrible stumbling block for trusting him, for believing God. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I am tempted by this. I'm tempted by this every time I get a paycheck. I want to have a safe budget that I can count on, that I can rest in. I'm sure that if I had a different vocation, I'd want to have a safe job with a long contract that I could trust. And that would tempt me away from trusting Jesus completely. So the disciples are amazed at this, is what it says. Why? Not because they were rich, by any means. And maybe Matthew might have had some cash money from being a dirty, rotten tax collector. But have you filed your taxes, by the way? It's getting close. Uh, But they had left all of that. They had left all that stuff to follow Jesus. And they're going to remind him of that as well. But no, they were amazed because there used to be this understood perspective that wealth was God's blessing and poverty was God's displeasure. So if you had lots of stuff, God clearly liked you, and you were keeping the law. And everybody knew that. God wanted people to know that. And if God didn't like you, well, you were sick or a leper or a beggar. And yet again, here's an irony. It's, It's humorous that the disciples still had this assumption because they'd been hanging out with God himself, who clearly loved the sick and the lepers and the beggars. 
and the poor. So ever the patient teacher, Jesus uses this as a teachable moment for them and thankfully for us. Because although surely none of us and no one we know would ever make these assumptions that if you have lots of nice things, God is blessing you more. And if you're poor, God loves you less. Or the connected assumption that God wants all of us to all be rich and healthy all the time. And if we're not, then something's wrong. That, that thought process never happens anymore. Uh, so here's another famous statement that so many people know that comes from this encounter. It is easier for a Campbell fighting camel to win the Big South Championship than for a, man to, a rich man to enter heaven. Uh, it is easier for the biggest animal you can think of to fit through the smallest space you can imagine right now than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that, that is a strong word for the American church. For all of us who are tempted to trust our finances. So the disciples, now they're just, they're just shocked. Because clearly, God blesses those who are good keepers of the law with his overt material blessings. Uh, but if they aren't getting into the kingdom of God, then what hope does any old person have? Who can be saved? So here's yet another powerful, well-known statement from this encounter. Jesus just made this illustration of impossibility with the fighting camel. And now he quickly reminds them, for humanity, it's impossible. (laughs) But not for God. Isn't that worth celebrating this morning? Isn't that worth singing about this morning? All things are possible for God. (laughs) We can be saved. As impossible as it is for me to imagine, God loves me. He saved me. God will make all things new. Resurrection is a reality. Our Father, the creator of all things, can do it. And he loves you. So as his his tendency, particularly in this account from Mark, who records his perspective, Peter begins to speak before really processing what Jesus had just said. Uh, He opens his mouth before his brain is caught up, and Peter illustrates this shift that each of us needs to remember. As he began to say, see, we did did it. We did it right, right? We let let go of everything. We, We left it. So we did this thing that we needed to do, but we do not achieve God's favor. We do not achieve God's favor. Even if we do sell everything today and give it to the poor, we receive God's favor because of Jesus. It is a gift. So, as Peter's about to say, Jesus, we did the right thing. So we have eternal life now, right? Jesus is yet again challenging the status quo. And his words are specific and meaningful here. No one who has left someone or lost something for Jesus' sake or for the gospel has truly lost. But rather, they will receive. Not because they achieved it, but because God lovingly gives it. So again, for those of us who are American Christians, we have very little concept of what it would actually mean to give up family or household or home or possessions for the sake of Jesus and the good news. Some believers in other parts of the world are dealing with this, even this morning, right now. Where someone is taking them from their family or taking their house from them because they follow Jesus. 
So that's part of Jesus' answer, that there will be persecutions. But I love Jesus' math here. And I hate math as a general rule, but you can't hate this. Whenever we may lose, whatever we lose, we gain a hundredfold in him. So we may leave our family, but we gain a family. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so everyone sitting here with you is your brother or your sister. We may leave our home, but we gain many homes. Because everyone sitting around you is your brother and your sister and your father and your mother. By a bond of blood, you have somewhere if you need somewhere. And anywhere that there's a gospel presence, where there is a church that loves Jesus, you have sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers. You have land. You have a home. There are resources available to you for any need. Whether it be uh, somebody who has a skill that you don't have, or an emergency bill arises, or you need help after you've lost your job. All of that, everything you need, is in Christ and in his body. So many of those who have much now will be last, will have little in the kingdom of heaven. But many of those who have little now will have much in the kingdom. So this is what Jesus called that young man to do, is to switch places, really. To go from his place of power and prominence and wealth uh, to be one of those who serves all and follow after Jesus. So cash in your stock now for the treasure of following Christ. For in his kingdom, things are quite different from the order of the world. Because we have everything that we need for life and godliness in and because of Jesus. If any of us is trusting something other than Jesus for eternal life, heed this story. Don't go away sorrowful, but rather let Jesus love you and bring you to the Father perfectly acceptable and perfectly, completely adopted. Not because you earned it, but because Jesus died in your place and now lives and stands before the Father on your behalf on the behalf of anybody who follows the king to the cross. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for your word and for this encounter. Thank you for sharing uh, your worldview with us through Jesus. God, if any of us have leaned on or trusted anything or anyone other than Jesus, help us to repent. Make our hearts believe because we want to believe. And I pray that you would minister through your spirit confidence and assurance to those who are already uh, the last and the least. Whether that be here in our congregation or those in our community and those around the world. And I pray for those who, are, who have means, uh, which is many and many of us. God, help us to live in such a way that we trust Jesus completely. We give 
hilariously. And we love as you have loved us. God, we thank you for the opportunity to give again here at the end of the month for benevolence. And I pray that you would take uh, the funds that we give this morning and use them to support uh, your family, your kingdom, and help us to be wise and uh, dispersing out into the community as well, to care for those who have serious needs financially, who have emergencies that rise. And in that way, that practical way of sharing our resources, God, help us to then share the gospel. That all that we have is yours. You've made us stewards. And that all that we need is yours, and you give it to us in abundance. We thank you for loving us and for exemplifying that love in the person and work of Jesus. So thank you for your word and helping us to see him more clearly. We pray that you be glorified as we worship you through our our giving, through our prayer, through our voices lifted up. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.